Good morning. Good morning. I just want to thank the church on behalf of all the pastors this past week. We were able to attend the Shepherds Conference at Grace Church, and we were able to gather along with, I believe, 4,000 other pastors, leaders. And if you can imagine a room where all of us were singing that song, Speak, O Lord, led by Bob Coughlin, it was amazing. And I want to thank the church because I've came away from that conference just really humbled. Humbled in honor that we have the privilege of being able to handle God's word. It's truly humbling. Humbled because as we gathered together for the first time in two years, we reflected how difficult it was these past two years. And a lot of times for myself, I just try to plow right through but I was able to reflect in those past two years, they have been difficult. They have been hard for pastors, but I know for all of you. But as I reflect, I think, wow, God has been so good. Amen? God has been so good. And I get to stand before you here and deliver God's word to you. Well, as I look back on the past two years, I want to just kind of share that this might be the first time you've seen me, Pastor Victor, the family pastor, but the kids, I think they're getting a little tired of me. They've seen me every week. And during the lockdown, I appeared on their screens, and I don't know if, I don't know if you remember the Children's Worship Service promo video, but that was kind of a heralding back to the videos that were sent out. I had to have a lot of energy. We had this music going on, and I tried to capture the children as they were at home. And at the same time, every Sunday I gathered with a few students, just less than 10, many of which were my children, and I taught them outside Sunday school every week. And so I had the privilege of being able to teach week by week the children. And as I was able to, to go through the Bible systematically, this fall we begin in Genesis I thought it was so neat that I was able to tackle these passages that maybe we've learned in Sunday school, I did, but we never fully understood. And I was able to unpack them and, and see how we can truly understand these passages that maybe we had difficulty understanding even as adults. And so this morning, I wanted to tackle one of those passages. And it's a passage of Jesus Jesus calming the storm. Now you might think, hey, I know this passage. It's easy, Pastor Victor. From this passage, we know we can pray that Jesus can calm the storms in our life, right? But the reason why I wanted to tackle this particular passage is because I believe we've jumped to the application without fully understanding what this passage is all about. You see, as I look at this passage, a lot of times we think, yeah, we can ask Jesus to calm the storms in our life, but in this passage, Jesus actually rebukes his disciples for their lack of faith. And I know we get a lot of peace and calm and comfort from this passage, and yet if you look at this passage, the disciples, they were scared out of their minds. So this dissonance, this tension, is part of the reason why I want to tackle this. Maybe we don't fully understand this passage 
So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 4. And let's see what's really going on here. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse, verse 35, the account of Jesus calming the storm. And as you turn there, I want to give a little bit more background about the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is a unique gospel. It's the shortest of the Gospels. It's commonly attributed to John Mark. And when you read through the Gospel of Mark, I want you to think of Peter. Now, why do I want you to think of Peter? Because it's believed that Mark was a close friend of Peter, and what he records in the Gospel of Mark are actually the personal eyewitness accounts of Peter himself. And as you go through Mark, I remember studying this in college, going through Mark. It's known as an action-packed gospel. What do I mean by that? You see, Mark, it's the shortest of the gospels, but it is moving. It is constantly moving. And if you look at the first four chapters of Mark, you're going to find this word immediately, immediately, immediately. Mark is trying to get you from scene to scene, moment to moment, teaching to teaching. It's moving fast. And this was really neat for the Gentile believers because they could get a picture of Jesus through this action-packed gospel. And as we come to Mark chapter 4, I also want you to think there's this theme of mystery Okay, what do I mean by this? There's this theme of mystery regarding Jesus. Jesus would heal somebody, and yet he would tell them, don't tell anybody who I am. And even before this, Jesus is speaking in parables. It's like he's veiling himself. He's shrouding himself with mystery. And as you read the first four chapters, this question constantly comes up in your mind, who is this man? And that's intentional on the part of Mark. And so we come to Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35. I do not have points in this sermon because this is a narrative. And as a narrative, it's like a story. And so rather than having points, I'm going to have scenes to help you understand this story. And we're going to allow the narrative or the story to unfold so that at the very end, we can get the main point, the main takeaways. So the first scene here, I just want to introduce this first scene here. Scene one, a great cosmic challenge. Okay, a great cosmic challenge. Let's look at verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. This is speaking of Jesus. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to them, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? We'll just stop right there. A great cosmic challenge. As we come to this section of Mark, it's interesting. The boat and the sea, they're like characters in this narrative. 
And why do I say this? This is a Sea of Galilee. Jesus gets into the boat, and it's like he's going on a tour, okay? It's not like a rock band tour, right? But it's more like, kind of like the, the people are treating it kind of like a sideshow circus. There's a lot of intrigue around Jesus. There's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of, what can you do for me, Jesus? And so here we see he gets into this boat. The evening had come. He had just finished teaching to the crowds. And he says, let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him. He gets in this boat. And verse 37, a great windstorm arose. Now I want you to keep note of that word great, okay? Because that word is going to appear in this narrative. And I want you to track it. Great, of course, the... The Greek word for great, you know it, is mega, right? So think about that. Great, okay? Big, epic, in this case, cosmic. A great windstorm arose. Waves were breaking into the boat. Now I want you to imagine and think, Jesus' disciples, some of them are experienced fishermen. They fished the sea in Galilee. They've been here before. They know that it was common for a gale to arise Winds to pick up. In fact, when my wife and I, when we visited Israel, when we were in seminary, we were on that very Sea of Galilee, and I remember taking pictures because it was like we were in a wind tunnel. We were going like this, and wind was going all over the place. So it was common to be windy in this area, in the sea. And yet, this was no ordinary windstorm. This was a great windstorm to the point that the disciples were afraid they were going to die. Again, no ordinary storm, a great epic cosmic storm. Why? Because experienced fishermen would not freak out and be afraid to die if this was a sea that they fished on before. This was something different. This was like a storm that they've never seen before. Verse 38 but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I want you to contrast this, okay? A great, epic, cosmic storm like they've never seen before, and Jesus sleeping. There's this amazing contrast here. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now the disciples thought Jesus was sleeping because he didn't care about them. That's what we can infer from here. But really, Jesus was sleeping because he's not afraid. He's in control. Okay, so I want you to think about that. You have this picture of disciples racing around the boat, waves crashing in. It's a crazy, it's a great, epic, cosmic storm. And Jesus is sleeping, not because he doesn't care, but because he's in control and he's not afraid. They wake him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Again, no ordinary storm. These were experienced fishermen. Why would they freak out? Why would they be afraid? They've seen this before, or have they? This is something entirely different. And so we move from scene one, a great cosmic storm, a great cosmic challenge, And let's go into scene two, a greater cosmic challenger. A greater cosmic challenger. 
And let's look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And let's stop right there. So Jesus is chilling. He's sleeping on the, you know, while this great cosmic storm is raging. He wakes up and he rebukes the wind. And let's stop this there. Rebuke. This is no ordinary storm. We know that because the disciples, experienced fishermen, are freaking out and they wouldn't if this was any other storm. This is no ordinary storm because Jesus rebukes the wind and he says, peace, be still. Why is that so not common or ordinary? Well, I want you to turn back to Mark chapter 1. And I want you to look at verse 25. Because here in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, we see those very same words, rebuked. And we say that we see the same command from Jesus, silence. And here, Jesus and his disciples are met with a man with an unclean spirit. I'll just go up to verse 23. We see that word immediately. Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 25, But Jesus rebuked him. Same word, saying, be silent and come out of him. Isn't that interesting? Rebuke, be silent. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 4, verse 39. Rebuked, peace, be still. It's the same word, be silent. It's translated different in this translation. So what is going on here? Is there a demon in this storm? In seminary, I did a whole Greek research project just to figure this out because why is Jesus using exorcism language here to address this wind? Does it mean that there's a demon in this storm? Because he uses that same rebuked, be silent, right there in Mark chapter 1. It's not, I'll just tell you this, it's not that there was a demon in the storm, but there's something greater at work here. It's not just nature. Jesus wouldn't talk to nature like that, okay? He wouldn't rebuke the storm like he rebuked a demon. So what is going on here? Well, I want you to turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, okay? And maybe this will give us a clue of what is actually going on here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The deep... That's the word, Hebrew word, tehom. It's this idea in ancient Near East cosmology that the deep reflected ancient chaos waters. This 
cosmic primal force of chaos. And yet we know that God brought order out of chaos. In verse 6, he says, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God took these chaotic waters, these primal cosmic primal forces, and he brought order with just his command, and he separated the waters from above and below, and there was calm. And so when we go back to Mark chapter 4, this was no ordinary storm. This is no ordinary man here. The only one who could command these chaotic waters and bring order with just his voice. You have to go back to Genesis. It's the creator himself. Again, order, dividing the waters. We read that in Psalm chapter 104. At your rebuke, the waters knew their place. Do you see what's going on here? Yes, this was no ordinary storm, but this is no ordinary man. There's a great cosmic challenge, but there's a great cosmic, a greater cosmic challenger who rises up. His name is Jesus. And so the only one who can command these chaotic waters, these chaotic storm, is the creator himself. And look here at verse 39. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. There's that word great again, mega. You have a great windstorm, a great cosmic challenge, and then you have a greater cosmic challenger, and at his command, great storm, great calm. What a contrast. It's the same contrast you see. Great storm, disciples freaking out, Jesus sleeping. Great storm, at Jesus' command, great calm. I mean, Mark, he is crafting carefully put together narratives to paint a picture of just who this man is, this great contrast. The wind ceased, there was great calm. Again, imagine a great cosmic storm rising up to oppose the creator himself. It's a recreation of creation, and yet the creator speaks And there's calm like there was that we haven't seen since creation. And he says to them in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And I never understood this, right? If we can ask Jesus to calm the storm, why would he get mad at the disciples? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You can understand this to mean Why are you so afraid? Don't you know who I am? I'm no ordinary man. They address him as teacher, but no teacher can command this crazy cosmic storm and their great calm come right after. So what is going on here? This is no ordinary storm. This is no ordinary man. And we shift to the final scene. Again, we have a great cosmic challenge, a greater cosmic challenger to rise up 
to meet the cosmic challenge. And now, finally, the final scene, our greatest cosmic challenge. Our greatest cosmic challenge. Let's read verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's interesting that Jesus would rebuke his disciples after rebuking the storm. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And we would imagine, maybe we would imagine, why are you so afraid? And the disciples responding, oh yeah, you know, you're right. Sorry, Jesus. You're God. But look here. Verse 41. What's the result of this? They're even more afraid. Isn't that interesting? I never fully understood this. And there's that word great again. Why are you so afraid? Oh, okay. I'm going to be even more afraid, Jesus. What was going on here? You have a great storm, you have great calm, and then you have great fear. What is going on? Even the disciples, they don't know. They ask, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples don't know. Now, why are they so afraid? Why are they filled with great fear? Well, it would be like this, okay? I was trying to imagine what, if we can figure out a way to understand this. So imagine you're on a fishing expedition on the deep sea, okay? And somehow you fall out. You fall out of the fishing boat. Okay, so you fall out, you're waiting for your boat to come back and get you, you're just treading in the deep sea, you're in open waters, and then all of a sudden you see a shark start to circle you. Okay, are you afraid? Oh, yes, you are, right? Now, this shark is circling you, you're afraid, and then all of a sudden, a greater shark comes and swallows this shark. Now, at that moment, Are you relieved? The threat is over. Or are you scared of the greater shark? As a shark swallows up that shark and stares right at you. And that's what's happening here. You have this great cosmic storm that they've never seen before. You have a greater cosmic challenger who swallows up the storm with just two words. And he looks at them, and they are scared out of their minds. Because Jesus, with just one word, can undo them. He could say, be gone, and they evaporate. And so I want you to imagine the great fear, okay? In the original language, in the Greek, it's this, it's like a hyperbolic fear because it's, it's translated literally. They were filled with fear, great fear. It's to try to capture how afraid they really were. What do we make of this man? We were afraid of this storm, but now we're even more afraid of this man. And I know this seems very silly to you, maybe, because we have a picture of Jesus you know, who looks like a surfer guy and he's holding a lamb and he's got children around him and he's laughing, ha, 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 ha. And yet the picture we have right here is a man who just rebuked the storm with just his words. 
He is to be feared. And so our greatest challenge, our greatest cosmic challenge, what do we do with this Jesus? And it's interesting that this narrative would end with a question. You ever wonder that? It's kind of like a cliffhanger, okay? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And it ends. That's it. The point being that Mark is crafting this, he's ending with a question as if to ask all of us a question. The audience, the readers, who is this? The disciples, they didn't know who he is. Do you know who he is? Is he merely a great teacher, as some say? Which good teacher could do this? Is he merely a prophet, a messenger of God? This is only the work of the creator God himself. And so who is this? Who is this? And this is our greatest cosmic challenge. This narrative ends with a question. It's to get us to answer the question. Who is this man? And so we've come to the end of the narrative, and I want to give you three takeaways. Three takeaways, having unpacked this narrative, having had this story unfold, what can we take away from this? And as you can tell from the the title of this message, I'm attacking or the primary takeaway that we've had from this passage, and I'm saying you don't have to ask Jesus to calm the storm. Because I think there's three takeaways, having unpacked this passage, that we need to get first before we ask Jesus to calm the storm. Now here's the first takeaway, okay? You don't have to ask Jesus to calm the storm. You need to figure out who he is first. Pretty obvious, right? I mean, the disciples, they need to figure out who he is. We need to figure out who he is. Is he just another man? Or is he the creator Lord himself? And remember I was telling you how Mark, the first four chapters, the question constantly comes up, who is this man, who is this man, who is this man? And what we learned at the Shepherds Conference from one of the speakers, Austin Duncan, is that Mark likes to sandwich Accounts, So he'll bookend two similar stories so that she can get you to see what's in the middle. And the bookend, this is the beginning of the bookend. The end of the bookend is the very famous account of Jesus walking the sea. And I hope with that we can see that the reason why that's a bookend is because it's not just a cool trick that Jesus does walking on water. Walking on the sea means that he has command, authority. He's sovereign over these chaotic waters. He's the creator. And yet, even on that book, and did you know that the disciples still could not say who Jesus was? And it says, because their hearts were hardened. They had seen miracle by miracle. They had seen Jesus have Not a rock star tour, but a kingdom tour, getting in the boat, going from shore to shore in the Sea of Galilee, and you see an intersection of heaven and the fallen earth, and you see a picture of what it could look like if the Creator Himself walked among us. 
You see Jesus casting out demons, sending them in the pigs. They've, they run off into the sea. And what do the people do? They're scared and they tell Jesus, get out of here. You also see that Jesus, he heals a woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. He heals a, a girl and he says, she's not dead. She's sleeping. What do they do? They laugh at him. He goes back into his hometown and they're asking, who is this? this is, we know who he is. He's just Joseph's son. And, and they disregard him. Jesus even feeds the 5,000. And yet... Even his disciples didn't know who he was. So you don't have to ask Jesus to calm the storm. You need to figure out who he is. Is he just another man? Is he going to be just like how the crowds treated him? Somebody who can give me something, somebody who can heal, some sideshow, do a trick for me, do a sign for me, Jesus, feed me. Or is he creator, Lord, himself? So first takeaway, you don't need to ask Jesus to calm the storm. You need to figure out who he is first. Second takeaway, you don't need to ask Jesus to calm the storm. You need to figure out where you stand with him. And you can see my takeaways. I'm just following how the disciples what they took away. You need to figure out who Jesus is first and you need to figure out where you stand with him because if Jesus is against you, you better be afraid. You better be as afraid as the disciples were. Great fear. Because this man who swallowed up the storm can swallow you up. Is he for you or is he against you? The whole purpose of the Gospel of Mark is to paint a picture of who this man is so that you may follow him in discipleship. You lay everything, you lay your very life to follow this man. Where do you stand with Jesus? Will you acknowledge him as Lord, not just of creation, but Lord of your life? Or are you in opposition to him just as the storm was in opposition to him? And let me just be clear that any feelings of ambivalence, oh yeah, well Jesus, he's a, I'll call on him when I'm in trouble. But that's not acknowledging Jesus as Lord. That's just like the people who didn't know who he was. And that's actually in opposition to the creator. He's either Lord, Lord of all creation, Lord over you, or he's not. And if he's not, be very afraid. And so we come, you might be asking, well, my Pastor Victor, you're such a downer. Is this what the kids go through every day, every week? I'm just trying to be faithful to this, Okay. Because I think there is great comfort in this. Uh, if you have determined that Jesus is no ordinary man, he is the Lord, the creator Lord himself, and if you've acknowledged that I bow and lay my life before him, he is the Lord, well, this final takeaway is for you. 
And it's the takeaway that I believe the disciples had. You don't have to ask Jesus to calm the storm. You need to figure out who he is first. You need to figure out where you stand with him. And you don't need to ask Jesus to calm the storm. You just need to know the Lord is there. The Lord is there. The Lord himself. And why do I share this? If we can trace the disciples, those who were in the boat, they didn't get it. Jesus walked the earth. They were right there. They saw everything. It flew right over their heads. They had hardened hearts. They didn't know that the creator was walking right with them. But when Jesus was crucified, when he ascended, when he was resurrected, when the Holy Spirit came down and they were empowered and their eyes were open, they recognized this was the one. This was the one we were waiting for. This was the Messiah himself. This was the creator himself. And it's like coming to the end of the movie. There's a grand review. You know what happened. And you want to go back and watch the movie all over again because you want to see, having known the ending, you want to see every moment how it plays out. And that's what's happening in the Gospel of Mark. The disciples, they recognize Jesus is the creator, Lord himself, and so they're recounting all of these things. We didn't know it then, but as we look back, we see that was the creator himself in the boat. No wonder he was sleeping. Was this cosmic storm going to kill us? No, we have the creator right there with us. Oh my goodness. And that fear, that great fear, turns to a great fear for the Lord himself and great awe and wonder. And what they recount is meant to be passed on to us to remind us that the Lord himself is with us. And that is the biggest takeaway. I'm not saying that you don't have to ask Jesus to calm the storm, the opposition that rises up in this fallen world against you, because Jesus says, you ask me anything. Ask me anything. It's a relationship, right? So when you're afraid, and there's been a lot of things this past two years that we've been afraid of, yes, ask Jesus. But first, know who you're calling out to. And know where you stand with him. And know that it's the Lord himself with you. And I think that will guide your prayer life. And I think that that will give you a greater sense of calm and peace, knowing that the Lord himself is with you. And so if we take this process, the same process as the disciples, there's this great cosmic storm. There'll be trials, there'll be suffering. There's disease and tragedy. There's unseen viruses floating around. And are we afraid? Yeah. But we take that fear and we look to the one who can swallow it up with one word. And we fear him above all else. Because he is the Lord himself and he is with us and he said, he will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us always, even to the end of the age. And I want us to trace the disciples here. 
these that were in the boat. You know, the early church, they found great comfort in this passage. But I believe it's not the great comfort that we often attribute. Their great comfort came in knowing that the Lord himself was with them. Why? Because the early church was persecuted for following Jesus. And we see much of the New Testament written to the persecuted church, reminding them that the Lord is with them. And so even as the early church and these disciples were met with opposition, the same opposition that came in the form of a cosmic storm against Jesus, they weren't surprised. They knew this was part of the deal. And yet they were even able to endure suffering. And if you look at the disciples, death, torture, All of them were martyred except for one who was exiled. They all died for the name of Jesus. And what allowed them to endure until the very end? What allowed them not to recant or renounce their allegiance to Jesus? It's this understanding and knowledge that the Lord himself was with them even till the very end. And so they could face even death because they were never alone. People say that the greatest fear they have is of public speaking, even more of death. But I believe as you get to the heart of it, the greatest fear people have is that they're alone. If you're standing here up on stage, if you believe that you're alone, yeah, you'd be freaked out. If you're facing death and you're all alone, you'd be afraid. But if you knew that the Creator Lord Himself was with you always, then you know that you're never alone. And so, just as this passage ends with a question, I want to end with a question to all of you as well. Because if this man, Jesus, is no ordinary man, if He's the Lord of creation from the very beginning, is it, if He's Lord of you, and I want you to ask you, I want to ask this question. If the Lord is indeed with you, then you can face death, anything in life. You can face angels or rulers, things present or things to come. You can face powers, nothing, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. Are you convinced of that? Is that your takeaway from this passage? That the Lord himself is with you so that nothing in this world, no powers, no rulers or principalities, not even death itself can separate you from the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much. I know we faced a lot these past two years. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknown, a lot of fears. I pray from your word today that we could see that yes, it's okay to be afraid, but may we fear you above all else. And I pray, Jesus, that we would know that you are Lord. You're Lord from the very beginning. 
And if you're with us, if you're for us, who can be against us? I pray we would treasure that in our hearts, God, so that no matter what we face in this life, we can know that you're with us always. So I pray that, I pray that for all of us here, that we would know that in our hearts, that we would remind each other that every time we read your word and this passage, we would be reminded of that. You are with us. Who could be against us? I thank you for your word. I thank you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.